Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real, Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep-free trial and a 10-year warranty, so you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code IDO for an exclusive 35% off. Because every mom deserves a good night's sleep, and with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash do. That's ro.co slash I-D-O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash I do. Guys and girls, hope you are having a wonderful day. 
I, I always say, hope you're having a wonderful day. I listen to most of my podcasts at night. And uh, I want to address you guys out there listening at night. Hope you're having a wonderful night or evening or pre-dawn whenever you're listening to this show. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. Where today I welcome Dr. Arielle Cooperberg. She is an associate professor of sociology and women's gender and sexuality studies at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro and the chair of the Council on Contemporary Families. Her research has examined dating, hooking up, cohabitation, marriage, and divorce. And today, Ariel and I talk about cohabitation, how to think about it, what she's found in her research. Is it more successful for a marriage if people move in together before they get married? And so much more. We talk about a lot of her other research, research from other sociologists and researchers that's interesting her. I think you guys are going to love today's show. It's really fun to have people that are looking at trends and not so much a psychologist that is, you know, more on an individual level because we can still apply this information to our relationships. And we talk a lot about why it's important to have that pullback perspective. So as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Enjoy today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by our online course, Spark My Relationship. Do you guys want to create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner in less than 90 days? Yes. Sign yes. me up. <laughs> then you guys need to check out our online course, Spark My Relationship. It is an online course, like I mentioned, that we created with over 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you guys the strategies marriage therapists teach their clients. We talk about it on the show. Relationships take work. Sometimes they function pretty easily and you coast along. But we've found the reality is, is you have to do work sometimes and to make them better, to change them so that they're more satisfying for both partners. And you've made it here. You've made it to listening to our show. So you guys probably already know that a little bit. But what you might not know are the specific tools and exercises that you need to create those lasting and positive improvements in your relationship. And like Chase said, change does not happen on its own. It takes hard work. And that's why we created the course. Spark One Relationship is designed to infuse your life and relationship with fresh passion, skills, and wisdom. And it's a self-paced journey that's perfect for turning up the heat, having some fun together, and revolutionizing your intimacy and communication. And just some tools and strategies that the course includes is to how to eliminate unhelpful old habits, develop mindful awareness to help improve your stress management, learn healthy and successful communication tools, create a deeper and more intimate bond, and strengthen your couple microculture, which you will find out what that is. Uh, in the future together. So for our listeners only, we're offering a special of $100 off the course. Visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock to unlock your discount. And there is a 30-day money-back guarantee. So there really is no reason to not give it a try. So go to sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock for $100 off.
Hi, Ariel. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. You've done quite a bit of work in relationship research. And in the pre-show, we talked about a couple interesting areas. And I thought I would like to start with focusing on your work in studying cohabitation and particularly how it relates to marriage. So maybe we could start with having you tell our listeners why you love researching relationships and then why you started this cohabitation study, and then we'll dive into what you found. Uh, yeah. So why do I love researching relationships? Um, I think a lot of it is because relationships are so integral to our lives. It's such an important part of how we shape our daily life. And another thing that interests me about relationships is how much they've changed, uh, especially in the last 70 years, where We've seen kind of changing gender norms. We've seen the rise of the acceptability of same-sex relationships. We've seen changes, you know, other sorts of changes that have impacted the family. So um, I'm basically interested in, you know, young adulthood, what's happening during that time. And relationships, I think, are a very important part of that. So... You did some extensive studies on cohabitation. Can you tell us general outline of the study and what was found? And we'll talk about how we can apply that to our relationships. Yeah. So I've done a few different studies on cohabitation. So cohabitation is couples that live together. They're in a romantic relationship, but they're not legally married. Uh, so one of my studies that uh, has you know, been depressed a little bit is uh, finds that cohabitation does not cause divorce. Uh, so it looks at the link between living together before marriage and whether couples get divorced or not. Uh, and some past research found that couples who lived together before marriage were more likely to get divorced. And my research found that basically the reason for that is, you know, one of the reasons for that is they tended to be younger when they form their relationships and younger couples get divorced at a higher rate. Uh, so part of it is looking at, you know, does cohabitation cause divorce? I've also done research on uh, differences between couples that live together who want to get married versus don't intend to get married and how those different types of couples compare to couples who are already married. Uh, and I've also done a study looking at the rise of premarital cohabitation over time. So that's more of a historical study going back to the 1940s and 1950s and looking at how cohabitation became so common. Very interesting. There's a lot to dig into here. Why don't we talk about what you found in the study between the couples that were living together and wanted to get married and those who did not, that it wasn't on the agenda. What was kind of the approach to those that did not want to get married? Like, I'm curious about, were they just indifferent to it or they were casual? And then talk about what was found. Yeah, I think some of it depends. It's kind of a mix of people. So I think cohabitors who don't intend to get married, which is actually only a very small minority of couples that live together. Um, those are couples that either are against marriage as an institution and don't want to get married ever. 
Uh, some of those are, might be couples who have been previously, you know, one or more of them went through a divorce, so they don't want to go through that again. Um, so that's one group is kind of the anti-marriage group. But then there's also the group of uh, people who are living together, maybe for convenience, maybe because it saves money, but they really don't think they're going to marry that person. Um, they're like, well, this will be like my right now. I just graduated college. I need a place to live. I'm dating this person. I'm not going to marry them, but you know, it's cheaper to live together for now. Um, so I think those types of couples are different from each other too. Uh, and then there's also couples who are kind of, they're uncertain about marriage. And then there's also couples who are really certain they're going to get married, married, but this is kind of like a test drive or, you know, at this point it's kind of the norm, the social norm to live together before marriage. And, you know, actually over 70% of couples that marry uh, live together before they get married. So now if you don't live together before marriage, people may be like, oh, are you like rushing things? Um, so yeah, so what I found basically is the couples who really know they're going to get married, they're sure, they're over 50-50 sure that they're going to get married, are very similar to couples who are already married. Um, they divide, I looked at things like how did they divide up work and health behaviors, Um I looked at like housework, having kids, buying homes. Uh, so the couples who think they're going to get married act like married couples. Um, and many of those couples may be people who are putting off marriage because they want to save up for a nice wedding or they have certain goals they want to accomplish before they get married or like, you know, maybe living together for a certain length of time could be one of their goals. Um but they act very similar to married couples, especially to married couples who live together before marriage. Uh, there are a few differences. So after couples get married, their chances of having kids go up, their chances of having a joint savings account go up, mm -hmm. their chances of buying a house together goes up after marriage. Um, but other than that, there's not a huge amount of difference between couples like once you get that marriage license. But then couples who don't want to get married tend to act very differently. They don't act like married couples because they're probably never going to be married couples, right? Um, they act more like couples who are not living together. So they may keep, you know, they're less likely to have children together. They're less likely to share finances together. Um, they may divide up housework differently. They may divide, you know, run their house a little bit differently. So, um, yeah, basically, like whether or not you plan to get married is kind of, even if you're not married already, can make a difference to what your relationship looks like. Throughout your research in the cohabitation domain, what are some of the landmines or things that you found with your couples, whether they plan to get married or not? but things that may not have been directly observed or maybe you were trying to measure them. But when it comes to cohabitation, because there's so much involved, like if you have a messy partner, that can create lots of friction. You mentioned housework. Can you talk a little bit about those landmines? Yeah, I mean, I think those things could be landmines when you get married too. So in some ways, cohabitation can help weed out 
bad marriages before they even happen, right? Like you might move in together, you find this person doesn't do any housework around the house. So I'm, you know, this drives me nuts. So I'm going to break up with them. Uh, versus if you hadn't moved in together until you had gotten married, maybe you found out about that after you got married, but now you're stuck. It, you know, you have to get a lawyer if you want to break up. It costs money. So, uh, you know, not that it doesn't cost money to move out of a place, but it costs significantly more money if you also have to go through a legal divorce. Um, so to some extent, cohabitation could kind of stop bad marriages before they even happen. Um, that doesn't mean that every, like, every cohabitation doesn't lead to marriage either, right? Only about half of couples that live together get married to the partner that they live with. Uh, about half break up. So, um, yeah, I think major pitfalls, I mean, my research points more to things like, what age are you when you're moving in together? If you're moving in together and you're 18 or 17 or, you know, 19 years old, and then eventually you get married, your chance of getting divorced is a lot higher than if you're waiting until you're in your 20s and you're a little more established in life. Uh, you know what you're doing with your life, right? And you can make sure you're compatible with the person you're with. Um, so things like, you know, age, making sure you're financially prepared. Um, I think that's what my research has shown make, you know, a bigger difference than whether or not you live together. Um, housework, I think, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm a more of a sociologist. So I look at trends more than, you know, relationship advice specifically, but I would say, you know, research has definitely shown couples that split up housework more equally are actually happier in their relationship. And especially couples that think their division of housework is fair tend to be happier. So, you know, checking in with your partner and making sure that you think everything is fair doesn't mean, you know, everybody has to do exactly 50-50 of each chore. Um, but check in to make sure that you think the division of fair is fair, I think, um, is something, you know, you could kind of avoid or can help a relationship when you're moving in with each other. So it seems like you didn't find conclusive evidence that there's a correlation between the success of a marriage, whether or not they live together prior to getting married. It, it was more age. Yeah, it's more age, basically. That living together, I mean, it is, living together does have a correlation with divorce, right? But once you account for things like, you know, people who live together tend to be younger, younger couples tend to divorce more. Uh, people who live together tend to have lower levels of education, lower levels of financial stability. Those couples that have lower levels of financial stability tend to divorce more. So if you compare like equally financially stable couples of the same age, uh, living together should not make a difference to whether or not you get divorced. <laughs> but as you mentioned, there's a lot of value in cohabitating with someone because it, it's just a different way to get to know a person. Yeah. So, um, I mean, what we have found, so there's, I think there's some emerging evidence that in more recent years, cohabitation might have a little bit of a protective effect on divorce. Um, it's kind of, it's very hard because 
you know, it's like once you account for this thing and this thing and this thing, then cohabitation may have a protective effect on divorce. But if you are comparing couples in the same financial situation, same age, in the most recent years, it looks like cohabitation does actually lower your divorce rate a little bit. Um, and part of that, I think, you know, the reason it used to be kind of a neutral effect and now it's actually doing what, you know, I think a lot of people go into cohabitation thinking it will do, right? They go into it thinking like, now I can kind of test drive the car before I buy it, right? Like I'm going to see what this relationship is going to be like to actually live together, to have kind of the roles of marriage before I actually commit to the legal role of marriage, right? So, um, well, that, so that should protect you from getting divorced, right? Because then, you know, there should be that weeding out effect. But we don't see that until very recently, in part because cohabitation was kind of taboo for a while, right? It's not until relatively recently that it has become, reached a level of kind of widespread acceptance, widespread people even kind of supporting you more, people thinking it's a good idea. Right now, the majority of people think that it's a good idea to live together before you get married. Just 30 or 40 years ago, I remember around 30 years ago when I was a kid, my old babysitter you know, moved in with her boyfriend and they weren't married and it was like the scandal of the town, right? Uh, so that was only 30 years ago. And at that time, it, it was a minority of couples that were living together before marriage. So when it's the scandal of the town, maybe, you know, your family isn't supportive of you. Uh, maybe, you know, the other people in your town aren't supportive of you. Maybe your religious community rejects you. So that leaves you without a, lo a lot of social supports that help a marriage succeed. Well, now that cohabitation has become more socially acceptable, um, it's not going to get you kicked out of, you know, your church or your family in most cases. I mean, maybe for some people it still does, but in most cases it doesn't. Um, so now in very recent years, it looks like there's evidence that once you, you know, can compare couples that are, were the same age when they formed their relationship and, you know, have the same education and, you know, account for those few things, um, it looks like cohabitation is starting to have more of a protective effect and reduces your chance of getting a divorce. One of the things I'm thinking about from the protective effect is that it's harder to break up if you live together from a very practical standpoint. Like logistically, you have to find a new place. Moving sucks. I mean, <laughs> yeah. this is a reality that I, I don't think should be discounted, right? Like there's a convenience factor that it's cheaper to live together most of the time, right? You're splitting rent and, and other expenses. So if you're starting to have relationship problems, even if you're not married, but certainly if you are, there's lots of hurdles to breaking up, like very practical ones, as opposed to if you live separately, it's a lot easier from a practical standpoint, logistically to break up. Yeah. So that's why I think up until recently, we've seen cohabitation have more of this kind of neutral effect where we would expect it to protect you. It wasn't protecting you, but it wasn't, it wasn't making it worse, but it wasn't really protecting you. Um, so as you know, it is harder to break up when you do live in, with each other, right? So there are now couples who maybe if they had stayed dating for longer, you know, like what's the alternative? You know, you could compare couples who would have gotten married. Like if we think of, you know, 
what now is kind of like the olden times, right? Uh, so couples get married without living together first, right? So we have a couple in the, you know, maybe in the past they would have gotten married, but now they live together. But there's also couples that maybe in the past would have stayed dating for longer. And now they're moving in with each other, not when they would have gotten married, but like a little bit earlier in the relationship. And some of those couples are going to find it harder to break up. Some of them, you know, maybe they move in and then they see a big red flag in the relationship. And if they hadn't been living together, they would have broken up. But then they are living together. So as you said, it's more expensive. They have to find a new place. So they're like, I guess I'll learn to live with this. But then, you know, they get married and eventually they're like, that red flag was actually, you know, there for a reason. And then they get divorced. Um, So that is, I think, why we, you know, for so long, cohabitation was kind of this neutral, like it didn't really, you know, decrease your chance of divorce. It didn't increase it, but it didn't really decrease it. Um, And now, even though it has a little bit of a protective effect, it's not a huge protective effect, right? So I think there is, it is kind of countered by some of these things, right? Living together makes it harder to break up. On the other hand, living together can make it easier for a couple to succeed in other ways. So for instance, one thing you mentioned is the convenience of saving money. Well, you know, living together, maybe they are able to save more money together. Maybe that takes off some of the financial burden. Maybe if they hadn't moved in together, and they had been trying to, you know, live separately, they would have had financial problems and feel more stressed out and take it out on their relationship, and then they would have broken up. Um, so it's, you know, as a sociologist, like it's not one thing, right? It's so complicated. Um, but all these forces are kind of in play, you know, at the same time, influencing relationships in different ways and kind of moving them in different directions. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. We all know the power of a good night's sleep. There is no better way to start a day than feeling well-rested and ready to take on whatever comes your way. However, waking up refreshed is easier said than done. And what we don't all know is how impactful having the right sleep is for achieving the perfect dream state. We all deserve bedding that was made specifically to relax your tired soul and sore muscles at the end of a long day, which is why I absolutely love and sleep so well on my cozy earth sheets. Cozy Earth develops and crafts high quality goods with reasonably and sustainably sourced materials from the earth so that you can get the restorative sleep you need. In my opinion, Cozy Earth has the most comfortable sheets on the market. I am just a little obsessed. Since they are made from sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics, they are unbelievably soft and I actually refuse to sleep on any other sheets in my bed. And get this, Cozy Earth bedding was invented so you could feel like you are sleeping at the perfect temperature. With moisture wicking fabric, it feels significantly less humid and degrees cooler than cotton. They believe in their products so much that Cozy Earth offers a 100-night sleep test. That means you can try it for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, you can send it back for a full refund, which I have never done. (laughs) Plus, they have a 10-year warranty on all of their products. And for good reason, Cozy Earth has been featured on Oprah's favorite list four years in a row, so I encourage you to discover why for yourself. 
Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for our listeners today. 35% off site-wide when you use the code I do podcast at checkout. Take advantage of this amazing deal and visit CozyEarth.com. That's C-O-Z-Y-E-A-R-T-H.com today and receive 35% off when you use the code I do podcast at checkout. Take action today for a healthier tomorrow with Everlywell. Their at-home lab tests, vitamins, and supplements can help you get the knowledge and support you need so you can become a healthier you. Everly Well is a digital healthcare designed for you at an affordable and transparent price. With over 30 at-home lab tests, you can choose the test to help you get the answers that you need, like the women's health test or the food sensitivity test. They make it so easy. So let me tell you how it works. Everly Well ships products straight to your door with everything you need in one package. To take your at-home lab test, simply collect your sample and use the included prepaid shipping label to mail your test back to a certified lab. Your physician-reviewed results will be sent to your phone or device in just days. And you can share your results with your primary care physician to help guide your next steps. And if you ordered vitamins and supplements, you can start adding them to your daily routine right away. I was super impressed with my whole experience with Everly Well. I sometimes don't feel great after eating certain foods, so I opted for the food sensitivity test. I did the test yesterday, so I haven't received my results yet, but I wanted to tell you how pleasantly surprised I was at the whole process and how convenient it was. I could do it on my own time, which was super great if you're busy like me, and it only took 15 minutes from the time I opened the box until I finished the test. It's so simple. Over 1 million people have trusted Everly Well to support their health and wellness goals, and you should too. And for our listeners of the show, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash I do. That's everlywell.com slash I do for 20% off your next at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash I do. I've been pitched quite a few products claiming they're going to blow my mind, and I'm always a bit skeptical. I'm also never the one to give into hype, but this time my mind has officially been blown by Foria, and I'm excited to share it with you all. Imagine your best orgasm. Now imagine that it could be even better. With Foria, it's beyond possible. Foria makes award-winning sex and intimacy products made with all-natural and plant-based ingredients and CBD designed to increase pleasure and relieve any discomfort, whether you're solo or with a partner. Foria will transform your sex life. Their products are made to help women and people with vulvas fully experience their sexual pleasure. Think intensely heightened orgasms. My favorite product is Foria's bestseller, Awaken Arousal Oil. It is the ultimate pleasure pregame. Using CBD and warming sensation-inducing organic botanicals that enhance arousal, sensitivity, pleasure, and access to orgasms, the oil is like a juicy warm-up that makes me feel incredibly relaxed, open, and honestly, just turned on. Foria has a serious cult following, and for good reason, with tens of thousands of people who have had their sex lives transformed through using their products. 
So yes, you have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead and treat yourself to more deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash I do or use the code I do at checkout. That's Foria, F-O-R-I-N, wellness.com forward slash I do for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their Awaken Arousal and Sex Oil. You'll thank me later. I was once given a simple piece of advice. Do one thing every single day to take care of yourself. Whether it's a full day of me being on the go or I'm having a slow, relaxing morning, Athletic Greens helps me make sure I'm following this advice every single day. When I added AG1 into my mornings, I was amazed at how easily it fit into my routine. I started taking it because I wanted to see what all the hype was about, but now that I'm experiencing a better sleep and digestion, I'm feeling super stoked about the benefits of consuming high-quality plant-based nutrition daily. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and aptogens to help you start off your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery focus, and aging. It also doesn't have that earthy, cakey taste that most powders have. Instead, it has a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to each morning. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin, and it's important to choose one, like AG1, with high-quality ingredients that your body actually absorbs. Plus, if you're looking to cut down on purchasing several different vitamins and minerals, this is one way to go for your convenience and for your wallet. AG1 is one thing with all of the best things in it. Athletic Greens uses the best of the best products based on the latest science with constant product iteration and third-party testing. Right now, it is time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash I do. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash I do to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. From a personal advice perspective, I think it's important to recognize why you might be staying in a relationship. There could be lots of reasons, deep psychological wounds all the way to practical matters. And related to this topic, if you're, if you're like, well, it's hard to move or I can't find a place and that's your primary reason for staying. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that in the moment. Relationships are complex, but I think it's important from a psychological standpoint to think about that, right? Because you can be like, well, it, this is convenient and easy and I can't find an apartment, so I'm going to ride it out. And maybe things work themselves out, but a lot of times that might keep you in a bad relationship longer than you would have otherwise stayed if you had, you know, still had your apartment to go to. Yeah, I mean, 
Well, marriage kind of does the same thing though, too, if you think about it, right? So marriage is kind of like moving in together, but with even more legal boundaries to getting divorced. So I think that's one of the reasons we see this rise of living together is, you know, yeah, it's going to be more, you know, it's harder to break up, right? But it's much easier than if you have to get a lawyer. (laughs) So, and, you know, yeah. And then on the other hand, um, how do people form relationships? I don't know, (laughs) right? So, yeah, like there has to be, you know, there has to be some kind of risk-taking in order to actually get those relationships to begin with. So, yeah, from an advice perspective, um, yeah, I mean, what I would say is like, make sure you're moving in together because that's the next stage in your relationship. Don't move in together purely because you're like, oh, I really need to save money. I don't like this person. I don't see a long-term with them, but I need to save money right now. I would say that's not a good reason to move in with each other. Um, But if you're already in a good relationship, you know, saving money is a reason a lot of people do take that next step. And maybe it pushes some people to the next step who do well there, right? Some people, maybe, you know, some people would have broken up if they hadn't lived together, but, you know, they went through a tough time and it was temporary. And then because they live together, they stay together and then they were a good couple, right? So, you know, we think about all these different possibilities, but it's hard to figure out exactly, you know, what would have happened in an alternate dimension where things were totally different. Exactly. And as you have alluded to, studying these things is complex because of all these variables. But from a advice perspective, and I'm not in the business of giving advice, but just sharing personally, it's not about do this or that. This is the prescription. It's just being, I think it's valuable to be aware of why you are moving in together, why you are staying in a relationship and as it relates to this conversation with cohabitation, right? Because yeah, it it can put that extra pressure like, all right, we got to figure this out. Maybe otherwise you just jump ship every time you get a little uncomfortable. And that again, could be related to deeper commitment issues, you name it. So definitely just things to think about. In your research, are there any things that might surprise our listeners that you found? My research on cohabitation, I think one thing I was surprised was looking at the history of cohabitation. I thought um, it would be more hippies at the beginning. (laughs) Uh, That was, you know, my assumptions about how, you know, the origins of cohabitation happened, that it was hippies. Um, But looking back, it was actually more legal changes, I think, related to, we used to have things called common law marriages. A lot of people think we still do, but we actually don't, except I think in two states. Um, And the state got rid of common law marriages. It used to be that if you lived together for a while and you were in a romantic relationship, the state considered you married. And then after a while, the state stopped considering you married um, for a variety of reasons. And uh, what happened was people kept doing what they were doing anyway, right? They kept moving in without having a big ceremony or going to the government. But at first, you know, people were kind of shocked by it at first. But it really was, you know, more of a continuation of a practice that people had had for a long time. And then, you know, it became trendy for a while among hippies, which really did make it more popular. But it was kind of more of a folk practice before that. Um, so yeah, I thought, I don't know, I'd look into the history of cohabitation. I thought was very interesting. 
Um, and then, so I went, you know, I think I went into it, this whole research project a little differently than some people approach this type of, of research. A lot of research on marriage and cohabitation um, is like, what is the difference between marriage and cohabitation? Uh, and I went into the research looking at, you know, how are they more similar than we think? Um, so I think one thing that I found that was kind of surprising is that couples that intend to get married are a lot closer to couples that are already married than we had assumed. It's just, you know, this other group of cohabitors who don't intend to get married or they're really not sure who are kind of, they're averaged into all of the couples who are living together. Um, so I thought, you know, I and so on the one hand, I was surprised that it made less difference than it did. But on the other hand, I was surprised that it made more difference than I expected. So there still was big differences in things um, like buying houses, having kids, sharing finances. Uh, there were some differences in things like becoming stay-at-home parents. Couples who are married are more likely to become stay-at-home parents. Um, I think that's partially because they have more of the economic security of having a legal marriage license. You have more economic uh, protection if you end up breaking up and you're a stay-at-home parent. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of was surprised to find as many differences as I did and as few differences as I, as I did between cohabitation and marriage. Like, I expected both more and less, I think. Did you dive into the details of the cohabitation with your participants in the study? You mentioned household chores. Are there any interesting correlations between the success of cohabitation and, and things like that? I have not looked into that, but that's actually a really interesting research question. <laughs> now I'm like, ooh, I should do that. <laughs> yeah, so that is something I could look into, but I have not looked into that in terms of housework. I know other people who have studied housework. Um, there was a recent big study that came out from the Council on Contemporary Families by Dan Carlson uh, and his co-authors who found that instead of dividing up chores where, you know, like one person does all the dishes and another person does all the cooking and one person does all the lawn mowing and another person does all the washing laundry, right? Um, that if couples each do part of like kind of divide each chore among them. So maybe like one person does like 80% of laundry, but the other person does 20% of laundry, uh, that those couples were actually happier and um, more, you know, had better relationships. And I think, I thought that was really interesting because a lot of research has said, oh, you know, dividing things up is more efficient, right? It's kind of this economic perspective of efficiency. And, you know, if one person specializes in a task, they get really good at washing dishes. Uh, but the truth is what happens then is that people don't really know the experience of the other person. Um, and they, you know, they may feel resentful, like, oh, I'm doing all these dishes and they don't know what I'm doing and I do all this stuff and they don't even see it. And um, kind of like sharing that housework more helps you see more of like what that other person is doing, even if you don't split each chore 50-50 exactly. So, um, and that's for relationships in general, but I thought that was one of the most interesting studies I've heard recently because it goes against a lot of kind of this economic wisdom of being more efficient and 
if you, you know, if one person takes over dishes, they get really, really good at dishwashing. <laughs> That's the most efficient, right? <laughs> so. I like the uh, partner that got the 20% of the laundry, you know, <laughs> they, they got out easy, but no, it makes, it makes sense that it, it's going to feel more equitable in the sense of your partner, like you said, will understand. And I think that's also important that you're not going to perfectly divide up the chores or household tasks or whether or not you have kids. That's a whole other layer. It, it's not going to be perfect. That The key is that you're communicating, as we talk about a lot on the show, that if, if you feel like your partner is not carrying the load, that you express that in a productive way. And again, we cover it so much. We just did uh, four key components of communication a couple episodes back. I encourage you guys to, to check that out if you're feeling frustrated by the 80% of the laundry that you're doing and you want to communicate that to your partner and it, rather than you know let these things build up and then it turns into a fight. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, yeah, it may make sense for one person to do 80% of the laundry and the other person to do 80% of the dishes. Um, but I think it's definitely important to communicate and to make sure both partners think it's fair to check in, especially, you, you know, you talk about having kids. I know when I had kids, um, there was a huge amount of extra work and sometimes things just default to different people. You know, sometimes when you move in together, things just default to a person who does it. And if you don't ever talk about it, there may be resentments that kind of build up over time. So, you know, I think not only when you first move in together, but when you go through transitions like having kids, when you have a second kid, when you maybe when you move to a new house and there's a new set of chores, like now someone has to mow the lawn. So let's talk about this. Uh, just having a talk and making sure both people in the, the couple are kind of on board and having a plan versus kind of just, you know, seeing how it shakes out. And then some people may, you know, one person may feel like they're doing much, they're more than their fair share. But, you know, if you don't talk about it, that's just, you know, silent resentment that could build up over time. So you are studying trends in relationships. Are there any studies that maybe you have in the works or that you see out there that are interesting you and that you think we should be paying attention to? been some new research on kind of the decline of sex among young adults I, that I found interesting that young adults are now having sex and dating at a lower rate. And part of this is, you know, part of this has been made much worse by COVID, I think. Um, but this was a trend that kind of predated COVID. Um, so, you know, we were talking about this in one of the classes I teach last semester, talking about the rise of the internet, the rise of you know, or kind of the decline of people feeling comfortable approaching each other in real life anymore. Um, so I think generally the young adults today and now also having gone through COVID and kind of missing two years of social development, um, I'm really interested in some of the new studies that are coming out on, you know, what is happening with young adults today in terms of that, you know, reduction in the rate at which they're dating and forming relationships um, at all. I think another thing that I'm interested in that I'm starting to work on is couples that now have one child increasingly, right? So there's been a lot of news about childless couples, um, which is increasingly common. People, you know, I'm, I'm 40. So people around my generation, you know, if you're having kids, you probably had them 
mostly, <laughs> like the first one, usually by the time you're 40. Um, and a lot of people in my generation are just not having kids. So I think we're going to see an increase, like in terms of trends, we're seeing an increase in couples that are going to be kind of aging without children. There's going to be more couples aging with only one child, which is going to be kind of a different dynamic than having siblings. Um, so I'm in, I'm interested in how those things are going to change kind of the experience of parenthood, the experience of social ties with other people, right? Because if you're if you're a sibling, if you have sibling kids, they they're kind of built in social ties with each other. So maybe if you have only a single child, you're more likely to socialize with other people, right? Um, so yeah, I think, and the other thing I've been working on is just student loans and how those have impacted relationships, how couples now have to talk about student loans sometime when they're dating or before they get married, um, how it's impacting all sorts of things like couple, you know, young adults moving home with their families and then finding it hard to form relationships because who wants to date the 28 year old guy who lives in his mom's basement, Right. Um, so, you know, increasing people, young adults living with their parents. Right. So in terms of and just COVID in general has changed so many things and it's going to be hard to, to know what the long lasting changes are versus the short temporary changes for probably five or 10 years. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, as a researcher, there's a lot that I'm interested in researching. My big thing now is student loans, but I'm already starting to work more, I think, on, um, you know, childless couples and parents of single children and how that, you know, affects their experience of parents. Um, I've also done some recent work on stay-at-home dads, which aren't increasingly common. They're kind of at, a, they were at an all-time high during covid so, yeah, I mean, that's where I'm going <laughs> in terms of my research for the next 10 or so years. There's so much to think about, so much to research. And I think the general theme or, or takeaway for our listeners who are, who are looking for relationship advice or they're just interested in relationships is that society will tell us certain way things are supposed to be based on Lots of different reasons. Trends, as you mentioned, are a big thing and they impact us consciously or subconsciously. And the more you're aware of them, I think the more power that gives you to make more informed decisions instead of like, oh, well, we're, we're developing our relationship and we've, we've been seeing each other for four years. Like now's the time we got to move in together, you know, before we get married and, because that's just the prescription that we've been told in a sense. I'm just using that as a hypothetical example. But if we're aware of these things, how they're acting on us, then we can kind of step back and go, well, do I really want to move in? What does that look like? What are the reasons behind that decision? Why am I not wanting to break up? Is it because I don't want to move my library of books? <laughs> like, so, you know, on the other end, so there's, there's just so much in there and in, in all different realms of relationships. And it's great to have people like yourself doing research to really quantify these trends. And it's not to say that then you find this result. And now we have to apply that directly to our relationships. It's like, we just take that knowledge and move forward with it in a more informed way of, of what's really going on. Yeah, I think knowing, as you say, making informed decisions, like there's a lot of social norms that 
once you've been dating for a long time, oh, are you guys thinking of living it, moving in together? You've been dating four years. Why aren't you living together? Right. And then once you're, once you've been living together a couple of years, there may be like, oh, you've been living together like two years. So you guys thinking about getting married or what's going on with that? Right. So that, I mean, and that is a common experience that many people go through. So there's this sense that relationships should progress or, you know, eventually you should be working towards something. Um, there should be some sort of timeline. People have a sense of, you know, what that timeline should be. I once collected some data on this, which I never ended up publishing, but uh, I collected a survey where I was like, when do you think the right time is to get married or, you know, in a relationship or the right time to move in together? And people have very strong opinions of like, oh, you should move in together. You know, you should be at least, you know, dating a year and a half before you move in together, but you don't want to be dating more than like five years because then what are you doing at that point? Right. So like, People have a sense of this is the way relationships should be. And then they make decisions that are shaped by their ideas of how things should be. Um, So, yeah. So I think what I like is looking at like, what are the shoulds that people have in their minds? Like, that's something that interests me. Like, what, how do people think they should behave? And how does that in turn affect behavior? Um, And as you say, figuring out what these ideas are in society help us make more informed decisions and to to figure out, you know, is this a decision I'm making because this is the right relationship for me? Or is this a decision I'm making because I've been dating this person for four years and I have this sense that, you know, we should uh, be living together at that point because that's what society says should be happening at this point in a relationship. It's so important to pay attention to the shoulds for exactly the example that you just gave in countless others. So I think that's a great place to wrap up, to have our listeners think about what is it that they feel like they should be doing. And and sometimes they, they are the correct things, right? Like I should be kind and compassionate to my partner. I should communicate, things like that. But I should propose because we've been dating now for four years and that's all you know, it's an illusion created by grandparents who pass it on to your parents and and it gets passed on. And In the diamond industry. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We could do a whole other episode on the economics of relationships and, and the pressures oh, created the whole, there. The whole wedding industry is a very profitable industry. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so much to think about. Well, we'll have to have you back on and, and, and we can dive into that or any other research that you're doing. I think it's super fascinating and important. So thank you for coming on the show today. Before we wrap up, is there anything you want to emphasize or maybe leave our listeners with? And please tell them where they can find you online and then we'll say goodbye. Uh, Yeah, I think, I mean, in the end, living together and not living together is not going to affect whether you get divorced. You should think more about you know, are you ready for that at this point in your relationship? Are you prepared for that role in this relationship? Um, yeah, that's that would be my biggest takeaway point, right? Think about yourself and your relationship. Don't think about, you know, living together or not. It can help. It may make it a little harder to break up, um, but it's not going to cause you to get divorced, which is something I was told always growing up. Um and then as to where you can find me, I'm on Twitter at A.T. Cooperberg, K-U-P-E-R-B-E-R-G. Um, 
Yeah, you can Google my name, Ariel Cooperberg. I have a Google Sites page, but that's about it, right? Or, and my research will come up on Google Scholar as well to find my articles. Excellent. Well, our listeners can find all those links in our show notes and on our website, idopodcast.com. Thanks for taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks for having me. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. As always, all the links to the guest as well as any of their recommendations will be in the show notes page. You can find the link to that in the episode description or by going to idopodcast.com. Click on the podcast tab up at the top and you will have access to all the episodes that we've ever done. There are over 300 of them. Uh, And while you're on our website, if you haven't checked out our free 14-day happy couple challenge, We really hope you do. It's a free email challenge that we send to you. It's 14 days of fun, easy, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And if you're looking for something that provides a little more help with working on your relationship, whether it's improving intimacy or communication with your partner or just bringing the spark back, we would love for you guys to check out our online course, Spark My Relationship. We're offering $100 off to all of our listeners if you go to sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. We've worked with over 15 psychologists and therapists to create the real life tools and strategies that they are teaching their clients. So we wanted to give them to you. It's a self-paced online course that can be done in as little as a month or up to three months. You can really decide how much or how little you want to do with your partner or maybe just yourself. So we hope you guys check that out. It's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Have a great day. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.